Matthew 3, verse 13 through to verse 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then John was led up by the sorry, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. Mm, makes sense. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all this I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Verse 12, now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, On them a light has dawned. From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's pray. Father, uh, it's true every week, but particularly this week, we're dealing with incredible realities in your word. Things that we might easily miss. Things that ought to grip us things that ought to take our breath away about you and your son, the Lord Jesus, what he has done and what that means for us. So please, Lord, don't let that happen today for us, but rather by your spirit, open up your word to us and open us up to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, Do you feel the world is broken? 
Do you feel the shadows deepen or the darkness extending? Do you wish that you could see it all made new? The song that we just sung was released in 2018 by Andrew Peterson and I'd encourage you to go and listen to more of his uh, music. And yet just a couple of years later, after this song was released, deep down, we are more aware than ever of those questions, aren't we? That the world is broken. We might have been able to deny it previously, but I think it's getting harder and harder for us to deny it and to kind of just you know, put, put it under the blanket and, and, and just press on. The world is broken. The darkness is advancing. Evil. Death is threatening. And perhaps more than ever we wish that we could see it all made new. We see world leaders scrambling to address things imperfectly and inconsistently. We see health professionals releasing advice different one day from the next, different from one country to the next. We see the media sensationalizing everything uh, in every direction just to improve their ratings. We see unrest and fear taking hold of both individuals and communities around the globe. Multiple solutions constantly being touted that will somehow apparently return things to normal whatever normal is. Which leads to the second series of questions in Andrew Peterson's song. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The question is this, is anyone able to truly address the predicament of our world? Does anyone who is not part of the problem, have the power to fix the problem? Is anyone able to see and make it all new? Well, today we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Matthew, which we've called The King Who Saves. And here we will find that God's answer to those questions is a resounding yes. Yes. There is someone worthy. There is someone able to break the seal and open the scrolls and unfold God's saving purposes in his world. Just a quick recap. We're up to chapter 4 in Matthew so far. We've kind of seen uh, what we might, we've been looking at what you might call the arrival of Jesus, the advent of Jesus. We've seen his genealogy and seen that he is the son of David and the son of Abraham, which 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 we which helped us to see that he is both God's anointed king come to save, but also he is the promise keeping God who is bringing blessing to the world. We've seen his early life, some of it at least, snippets. And we've seen his prophetic identity as we listened to the words of Isaiah and the words of John the Baptist, the Elijah who was to come. But today we see him directly. 
We see Jesus directly, the one whom the angel said in chapter 1 will save his people from their sins. But who is he? How can he save the day? What will he do that no one else, past or present, has been able to do? What is it about him that makes his arrival such a big deal for us? What will he do for us that we could never have done for ourselves? Well, have a look with me again at Matthew chapter 3 and verse 13 to 17. There's a lot going on here that's really important for us to see. A little bit of context, as we saw last week, people are going out in droves to be baptised by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. It was a baptism of repentance, that is, people were turning from their sins and coming out to him in in that kind of uh, place of repentance and being baptised by him as a symbol of cleansing from their sins in preparation for the expectation of the Lord or the Messiah or the Christ who is coming. Interestingly, the geography of this baptism is really important and something easy for us to miss because it's in the Jordan. And the Jordan is significant in God's Old Testament people's history. It's actually the entry point into the promised land. Remember, Joshua led the people through the Jordan River into the promised land to take hold of what God had won for them and promised to them. The kind of baptism here is normally reserved for Gentiles, that is, non-Jewish people. People who want to become Jews, who want to join the the Jewish community and worship and love and serve their God. They were viewed as unclean Gentiles and they would come and in order to join the people, part of the process would be that they would be baptised, that they would be immersed in water, showing a cleansing from their unclean background and a welcoming into the people of God. But here it's not Gentiles, friends. It's Jewish people coming out to John. I'm sure there's some Gentiles there too, but there's lots of Jewish people, which seems odd, don't you think? But so powerful as the ministry of John the Baptist is, the Jewish people themselves have realised that they too are not unlike the Gentiles. They are unclean. And they need to come out and receive this baptism by John in preparation for the new Joshua, the Lord who is coming, who will then lead them back into the land as the new, renewed people of God. So we have people repenting and re-entering the land. A renewed people made ready for the arrival of their Lord their Messiah, their Christ. So just an aside here, how do you receive Jesus Christ as your Messiah? As your Saviour and as your Lord? Well, in a very similar way, by repentance or through repentance and faith. By recognising your sins, that you left to yourself are unclean and not able to be in relationship with God or in the presence of God, that you need cleansing. And so you come and you look to the one, as we saw last week, baptises with the Holy Spirit and with fire. 
washes us clean himself and makes us acceptable to God once and for all. So here they are, and (laughs) to John's surprise, and hopefully to ours too, Jesus comes to be baptised by John in the Jordan. Uh, Straight away in verse uh, 14, you, you see that John's not comfortable with this. And understandably, he says, John, it says John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptised by you. And do you come to me for baptism? Remember, John's just said, there's someone coming after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal, I, I, I'm not even worthy to carry it for him. He is so great. And now that very person is coming to John for baptism in the Jordan. John's like, nah, it should be the other way around, man. What what is going on here? I need to be cleansed by you. But Jesus insists, and we're told for a specific reason in verse 15, but Jesus answered, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Oh, it's obvious, right? That's clear. We know why Jesus is getting baptized now, don't we? It's not very straightforward, and if you want to look up the commentaries, you'll find there are lots of different ideas. But simply, here's probably the two most uh, common understandings of what Jesus means to fulfill all righteousness. Firstly, God's plan was always in Jesus to identify with sinners, yet not become a sinner. He left heaven and took on human flesh, became a man, was found in appearance as a man among us. So his his plan was always for Jesus to identify with us as sinners. But also, as we talked a little bit earlier, just as Joshua led God's Old Testament people through the Jordan into the land, so Jesus is going to lead God's new people through the Jordan into all that he will win for us. He's the new Joshua. So John agrees, as you probably would after a little bit, and baptizes Jesus. And do you see what happens then? Verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. As soon as he's baptized, as soon as he comes up from the water, powerful, supernatural, phenomenal things happen in this moment. Now remember, In Matthew's Gospel, we've seen phenomena, supernatural things happening around the birth of Jesus. Now we're seeing supernatural phenomena, miraculous things happening around the baptism of Jesus. And every time we see this kind of things, we need to recognize that God is doing something significant. And it's no different here. Let's break it down for a minute. 
What's the first thing that happens when Jesus is baptised and comes up out of the water? We're told the heavens were opened. The heavens were opened. This happens whenever there's what you might call an apocalypse or a revelation from heaven to earth. And so that's what we've got here. We've got revelation from heaven to earth. And more than that, we've also got visitation from heaven to earth. Prophet Isaiah is everywhere in the background of this text. And here's some of the, some of the verses that will be there, if I can get my thing to work, which would be good if I turned it on. Isaiah 64 verse 1, the plea of God's people. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence. Oh, that you would open up the heavens and that your presence would come down and that you would work as you did on Sinai and redeem your people. Oh, that you would do that. That's what's happening here, friends. God is rending the heavens, so to speak. They are opened. And what is being revealed, what is being made known to us here? Well, back to the reading that we had. The Spirit of God is descending, we read, and coming to rest on him, which is what we saw in Isaiah 42. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom I delight, my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. The heavens are open. God is acting. The Spirit is coming and descending on him like a dove. Isaiah 61 verse 2, Jesus applies this to himself in Luke 4. We read here, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor or the time of God's grace and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. The heavens are open. The Spirit is descending. And then we have the voice of God the Father confirming the revelation of His Son. Confirming the identity of His Son and His delight in Him, which we saw again in Isaiah. This is, behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Friends, I don't know whether you've ever asked this question, but I reckon we probably all have at some point. If there is a God, I wish he would make himself known to me. That's what he's doing. This is revelation. Revelation of God himself. Let's linger here for a little bit. Revelation from heaven, we've got God's gracious plans unfolding before our eyes. We have the anointing of Jesus Messiah with the Spirit of God, anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the saving work of Messiah. We have the Son of God revealed to us and confirmed to us. We have God the Father showing us precisely what he's doing in his world. We have our God who is Trinity, acting in glorious power, bringing heaven to earth. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit actively, together, fulfilling the saving purposes of God. And as he does so, we get a moment of clarity when it comes to Jesus and who he is. 
we see Jesus, the Son of God, the true Son, the second member of the Trinity. And we see Jesus, the servant of God, through whom God's purposes are fulfilled in his world. We see Jesus, Son of God and servant of God. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? Well, maybe. Maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe this is it. And friends, we need to realize that things are just getting started here, right? This is just the beginning <laughs> when it comes to what Jesus will do. Things are just heating up. Haven't even really kicked off yet when it comes to Jesus and his ministry, which is what we find in chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. As Jesus is led, we're told, up by the Spirit, the same Spirit that rested on him now leads him up. Where? Into the wilderness. Why? To be tempted by Satan. Really? Here we see the servant of God. The son of God serving God's purposes. He takes on evil itself head on. Head on. To use a boxing analogy, he steps into the ring, if you like. Coming face to face with our ancient foe. The devil, Satan, the evil one, the one who hates God and who hates anyone made in the image of God, which is all of us. Satan, who is the deceiver, the father of lies, the one who comes to kill, to steal and to destroy. Jesus steps into the ring with him. The Spirit has led him there, which tells us this is completely intentional by God. This is what he has come to do in faith, faithfully serving the purposes of God. And I want us to see, we're meant to see a couple of really important things here. Firstly, Jesus is the true and better Adam who triumphs when tested by Satan. He's the true and better Adam who triumphs when tested by Satan. That unlike Adam and us who are unfaithful, he remains faithful to God. But we're also meant to see this. Jesus is the true and faithful Israelite who triumphs in the wilderness, who when he is hungry after 40 days doesn't seek to take matters into his own hands, doesn't grumble and complain about the plans and purposes of God, but remains true to God, knowing that life, real life, comes from God and is a gift from him. Jesus is the true and faithful Israelite who triumphs in the wilderness and who will himself be the foundation of the new people of God. He serves God faithfully. He serves God faithfully. And he does that, we know from where we sit, don't we? He does that all the way from here to the cross. 
all the way from here to the cross. Have a listen to Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore God has exalted him. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, the Father says. He serves God faithfully, but secondly, and friends, you may, if you've been around long enough, you know I absolutely love this. He fights for us victoriously. He fights for us victoriously. You see, the question we ought to ask, or at least one of the questions we ought to ask when we read this part of the gospel is this. Why is Jesus there? Why is he there? Why is he doing this? Why is he going through all this? I mean, seriously, it's not a walk in the park for him. Two reasons. He's there for the glory of God because he will triumph over all darkness and evil, because he will destroy the works of the devil, and in doing so, God will be glorified. God will be seen to be great as he is, without rival, great and good, without compare, and matchless in power. He's there for the glory of God. But friends, don't miss this. He's there for the love of God. He's there for the love of God. He's there for us. He's there for you. And he's there for me. He's in the wilderness for us. He's being tested for us. He's fighting for us. And he's triumphing for us. And he's our great champion. Who fights for us. That is exactly what he's doing here. He's there because of the love of God. For you and for me. Who fights for you like that? Remember the baptism we just read? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all actively engaged together in bringing God's saving purpose to the world. And here's the Son, empowered by the Spirit, fighting for you. And don't miss this either, friends. What we see here is something the devil does not want you to know. He does not want you to know 
let alone he does not want you to experience the reality that you have a champion who fights for you victoriously. He doesn't want you to experience that reality and to live in the light of that reality. And to have your life shaped by that reality. That no matter what happens to you, there is a champion above champions who has you in his grip. Neither death nor life can separate you from his love. Nor hell itself. He doesn't want you to know that. And even if you do know it, he wants to distract you from it. Which is kind of what he does with his tactics with Jesus, right? Do you see it there? You see what he says to Jesus? Twice he says it. If you're the son of God. If you're the son of God, doubt, so doubt, question your identity, who you are in Christ. If you're a Christian, if God really loves you. You heard that before? If God cares for you, you can have whatever you want. Whatever you desire. And if you can't have whatever you want and whatever you desire, then clearly God doesn't care for you. If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. You can have bread. You don't have to trust God. You can just grab it. If God cares for you, suffering should never come your way. And if suffering does come your way, well, clearly, you're not. You can't be loved by God. Your identity is in question. Maybe you're not his. If God cares for you, the glory of this world should be yours. The praise of others. All the treasures that are there for you. And if you're not receiving much praise from others, and you don't have a lot, well... Does God really love you? Are you really his? You see his tactics, don't you? That's to get at your identity. Who you are, someone made in the image of God and redeemed by the grace of God and adopted as a child of God. No surprise that identity is probably the biggest challenge in our culture. think we can work out where it comes from it's pretty convincing sometimes right (laughs) these temptations we can succumb to them we really can finding our identity in all sorts of things struggling to believe that god cares for us at all which is exactly why we need a champion to fight for us. And we have one. We have one. That's the beauty of what we see here, don't you think? Jesus is the Son of God and the servant of God. And he fights for us victoriously. He is there for you and for me. Yes, for the glory of God. But also for the love of God.
Notice what happens in verse 11 when Jesus is not convinced by the lies of the evil one about who he is or about the care of God for him and whether he can trust God as well. What happens? Sorry, verse 10, isn't it? No, verse 11. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Do you remember one of the temptations? Chuck yourself off this building because angels will look after you. He says, don't, you don't test the Lord your God. And then after this, who comes? Angels. Yeah, they will. And they were. And they continue to. The devil left him. But it's not over yet. In fact, Luke's gospel, in his account of this, says the devil left him until an opportune time. Until an opportune time. In other words, this is round one of many rounds that are to come. Yet we know that at a point, there was a KO in this battle. There was a knockout. A knockout blow. And here it is. And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. What we see here in this wilderness is round one of what was finished on the cross. And at every point in between and along the way, Jesus fights for us. Now, many of you know that we lived in the Kimberleys for a couple of years in Halls Creek, and one of the things that would, lots of things would happen in Halls Creek, surprisingly, it's a very small town, but lots would go on in Halls Creek. But one of the things that would go on in Halls Creek is that we would sometimes have these family feuds. And uh, sometimes they would start in the schoolyard between two primary age boys who would get into a scrap. And there was always one winner and one loser. And the loser would probably say something like this. I'm going to get my uncle onto you. Which sounds kind of funny, except that it wouldn't stop there. It might have been an older brother to start with. And then again, there'd be a loser and a winner. And then it'd be, I'm going to get my cousin brother onto you. And it would go all the way up and all the way up and all the way up until it got to the two most significant scrappers in both families. And there could be 100 to 200 people gathering somewhere in the town, both families on both sides, gathering in the town for the final bout to happen. It was a bit frightening, to be honest. I remember one group, when it was happening, they all, one family group came walking past our house. Just, you know, 50 to 60, 70 of them, something like that. Police, 
at a distance, just driving along behind, they're probably not going to get involved unless it gets really serious. They're probably just going to let it sort itself out. Victory would come down at the end of the day to who your champion was. Who was, who was the one who was fighting for you? Do you see Jesus fighting for you? Against a foe that you could never, ever even make a dent in. You see the love of God for you here. Jesus wins the battle for us that we could never win for ourselves. Can I ask, are you just a little bit stunned that God would do that for you? I hope so. Because do you know when he did that for you? Romans says, when we were enemies, Christ died for us. Oh, that's when he fought for me. When I was opposed to him. When I was hostile towards him. In order to make me his child. That I might love him and live for him for eternity. Are you just a little bit stunned? Has the victory of Jesus for you been taken hold of by you? In other words, have you come like the people in this passage in repentance and faith? With your need of cleansing, looking to, your, to this champion who fought for you. Who's the champion in your corner? Is it Jesus? Or is it you? Are you trying to fight the battle? Because the question becomes when you really see the, the opposition here, how will you ever triumph over him, let alone over the flesh, your fallenness? How will you fight against the world that would enslave you and the flesh that will corrupt you and the devil that would destroy you? You just won't. But Jesus has. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. He fights for us victoriously, victoriously. And lastly, and briefly, he calls sinners to life graciously. Look at chapter 4 again. The devil leads him. John is put in prison. And there's this transition that takes place from John's ministry to Jesus' ministry. Jesus heads 
withdrew into, withdrew into Galilee, heads into Galilee, leaves Nazareth. He went, lived to Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet would be or might be fulfilled. Again, Jesus is fulfilling the gracious purposes of God. John's been arrested and Jesus comes fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah and the longing of God's people. And again, don't we see grace here? Where are the people? They're dwelling in darkness. And in the shadow of death. Dwelling in darkness, which is a, which is a way of speaking about sin and evil. This is our world without God. They're dwelling in, they're under the shadow of death. That is, death is hanging over them. We all know what shadows are like when, when they're kind of over us. You feel the world is broken. And this is because of their sin, that they're there. But the prophet says something has happened to change that. Those very same people have seen a great light. On them a light has dawned. Light is most often in the Bible associated with God and with salvation in contrast to darkness and death. Psalm 27 verse 1, David says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Jesus said in 8, John 8 and verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever walks in me, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so here we have Jesus, the Son of God, servant of God, come as the light of the world to dispel the darkness and deliver us from death. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? Is anyone able to bring God's salvation to us? Verse 16. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And so in verse 17, Jesus kicks off his speaking ministry and he says, Come, repent. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand and it's on offer. Come and humble yourself. Come and turn from your sin and come and turn to Jesus, the King who saves, the Son of God and the Servant of God, the only one who can make everything new. And invite you to take a moment to reflect on these things. And then we're going to come around the Lord's table after we sing. Take a moment, close your eyes. Think about this, this Lord Jesus who fights for you, who fulfills the purposes of God in his world and who offers you grace even this morning as we go.